0: Take the time to
1: May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Nice to see you, to see you. I'm so glad you responded to that. That would have It must be great to have a a catchphrase. Your own catchphrase. A form of words that rings bells for people so that they can finish the sentence before you do. Nice to see you, to see you, and everyone's in. So well known, so well crafted is your catchphrase. I will say this only once. Your phrase, your legendary words so redolent with associations of the film that you were in or the programme that you starred in 20 years ago or the movement or moment in history that you symbolised. Some catchphrases are trivial but remembered nonetheless and some are heavy with history. Not many people know that. Don't panic, Mr. Mannering. This is an ex-parrot. It is no more. And we're we're back there in the 70s or the 80s or even the 60s, smiling and remembering. Or at the movies. I'll be back. You're going to need a bigger boat. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Play it. Play it again. You played it for her, you can play it for me. Play as time goes by. The names Bond, James Bond. Or the catchphrases and slogans of history. Chamberlain with his scrap of paper bringing peace in our time. Oh. Or Karl Marx with his call to revolution. Workers of the world unite, you have nothing to lose but your chains. Harold Macmillan telling the nation that they had never had it so good. Labour Prime Minister Jim Callaghan coming off the plane with his ill advised words Crisis, what crisis? Margaret Thatcher and the ladies not for turning. Martin Luther King, I have a dream. Something about the phrases, the balance, the weight, the vividness. Something about the way an idea is captured, contained. It's succinct and yet full of meaning. There were Bible characters who had their catchphrases that summed up their role in the story, gathered up in a nutshell who they were, what they added, what contribution they made to the unfolding revelation of God. Those grim words of Cain echoed down the millennia. Am I my brother's keeper? The ringing declaration of impossible hope in God from Moses as he confronts the unmovable, unshakable power of Pharaoh. Let my people go. A cry for freedom. Let my people go. That reverberates down through the centuries and across the world, wherever men and women have been oppressed and abused by raw power. Let my people go. An anthem that still speaks with powerful moral authority. As does the slogan associated with Moses' successor, Joshua. As he dares the people of Israel to face up to their identity. And have the courage to embrace the future that God would give them. Choose this day, says Joshua, whom you will serve. Choose this day whom you will serve. A message of truth, a challenge that has lost none of its impact and thrust throughout the years. The question raised for every generation. What kind of world are you going to make? What kind of person are you going to be? Choose this day whom you will serve. The prophet Jeremiah's catchphrase was used with such frequency and force that indeed his name became a watchword for grim warnings of dark times, a byword in doom-mongering, to be a bit of a Jeremiah. He was a man who saw the world as it was and under the guidance of God worked out from there what that world would be like. And he cried out in warning and despair, Woe unto ye! Woe unto ye. Woe unto ye. And there are still wise men and women who warn of the consequences and the the dark and terrible outcomes that will happen with inexorable certainty if people keep discarding and mocking the logic of God's moral universe. If people disdain loyalty and embrace only self-centeredness, if they turn a blind eye to wider social obligations, if they play with the fire of weapons of mass destruction, if they lock themselves into denial as to what's happening to the world in its climate, in its social cohesion, then enter Jeremiah and his word of warning, Woe unto ye! John the Baptist had a a powerful and a memorable catchphrase that caught the attention of his generation. A clarion call for change, a summons to a new, fresh start. Turn around your life, prepare for the coming of the kingdom of God, repent and be baptised. That was his catchphrase. Out there in the desert, he made a straight path and urged men and women to admit who they were, To reassess their life and what was important. And to change. To change in the power of God so that when the Messiah comes, they would be ready. When he comes to heal the world, they will be welcoming and alert and not stumbling in the darkness for direction. Repent and be baptized. And they came in droves to embrace that powerful message. To ready themselves for this new and wonderful moment not wanting to miss it, not wanting to let the preoccupations of their shallow lives rob them of this better thing. It's hard to choose which is the most memorable and precious of Christ's familiar words. The shocking counterintuitive challenge of love your enemies love your enemies love your neighbour had been around for quite a while it was in the general context of the best of Judaism though there were some remaining grey areas as to who loving your neighbour might involve but with this bombshell this was startling and outrageous and difficult and it swept us out of our comfort zone and our hard logical moral boundaries into a revolutionary and disturbing set of possibilities. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hate you. Where is this going to end? This is a new kind of loving. Or what is most iconic phrase, the lines he would be most remembered for, be that glorious victory of love over hate spoken in his brokenness through parched lips as he hangs on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do.
0: Not raging bitterness,
1: born out of a screaming sense of injustice. Not anger towards those who had betrayed, deserted and run. Not a heart hardened by the beatings and the scourgings, but something different, something divine. Something divine. A genuine forgiveness that reached into the abyss and refused to let the darkness overwhelm his love. He surely made that idea his own. These words surely defined the nature of his character and the depth of his love. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Or would we choose as his iconic words that amazing declaration at the point of death in contradiction to the blood and the nails and the cruelties in defiance of the darkness that shrouded his story and the apparently comprehensive nature of his defeat and shame these words of trust and completion Fulfillment and triumph. It is finished. It is finished. The purpose for which he came into the world. The salvation he won. The battle he fought. The victory he wrenched from the very hands of Satan. Wiping the grin from the faces of those who thought they had done away with his nonsense. They had crushed his spirit. Their hatred had defeated his love in joy and in the sure knowledge that a cosmic shift has now taken place. And the burden of the sin of the world has been carried. And the cost of our salvation has been paid. And the imprisoned souls, chained in the darkness of their unbelief and sin, were redeemed and set free. He cries from the cross, It is finished, it is finished the cosmos can breathe again and hope can spring to life and nothing will ever be the same from now on. That plan, that purpose which so shocked the very angels themselves that the sun would go there, would come here and be born and live and be rejected and killed and out of that terrible reality would come a new reality for humanity well now it's done, now it's done it's finished maybe this would be the phrase that people would turn to when they wanted to understand the very core of Christ and his mission but for me I'd have to say it's another of his sayings that goes right to the heart of my life for what we do about this phrase, this saying makes it all personal about our very life and how we live it, about how we see each day, our work, our connections, our relationships, our timetable. The saying of Jesus, that saying that when he says it to us puts us on the spot, becomes absolutely decisive and basic to our being. It's that phrase of his when he says... Come and follow me. Come and follow me. And that that invitation stands right in the middle of the road of our life. We hear the words and we know they've been spoken to us by him. And what we do about them will shape the way we lead our life and the people we become and the choices we make, the priorities we will set for our life. This is the call. This is the summons. Will you come and follow me if I but call your name? And he does. He calls our name direct and personal and nothing to do with what our granny did or our friend up the road did about Christianity or the decision they might make. It's our name we hear. And we feel it deep in the core of our heart and we know this is not imagination, empty emotion. We understand that something crucial is happening here as the voice of his truth speaks to our truest self. And now we have decisions to make. Existential, profound, echoing in the deepest part of who we are. This Jesus calls me to follow him. With precisely the directness and the love, he called those fishermen by the lakeside. He wants us to serve in his kingdom. He wants us to say, yes, we are with him. Yes, we will go. Yes, he is my Lord. And countless, countless people from every nation and every background have heard that catchphrase, come and follow me, and be caught by it. come and follow me. He says it still. He says it to you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.